today to another podcast episode of Established in the Faith. This is Pastor James Pierce, and what a privilege it is to have all of you out there by SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, Blueberry, and others. We're just so very pleased and happy to have you with us today. We're going to begin a brand new study in the book of Romans today. I know it's going to be a blessing to you. If it is, like it and share it with others. You can also go over to EstablishedInTheFaith.com, and if you go there, you'll find more information on how you can subscribe to this podcast as well. We love hearing from you, so please feel free to contact us with any questions and comments that you may have. Well, we're going to go on into our study now, beginning in Romans chapter 1 and verse 1. Hope and pray it'll be a blessing to you. Begin our study tonight in the book of Romans, if you will, take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, beginning with the first word of the first verse. We might actually get through one verse tonight. (laughs) Romans 1 and verse 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Who was Paul? I want to deal with Paul a little bit before we actually get into the book of Romans. Paul was born around about the same time that the Lord Jesus Christ was. There's no evidence that he actually physically saw the Lord during his earthly ministry. But um, he was definitely here during that time period. He was given the Jewish name Saul by his father, who was a Roman citizen, and he was a Pharisee of the tribe of Benjamin. And this made Paul a freeborn Roman citizen. Now, he was born in Tarsus, a city of great learning because it was of the home, uh, it was the home of a famous uh, university. As a boy, Paul sat at the feet of Gamaliel, which was one of the great Jewish scholars of that day. And being in that environment, he rubbed shoulders with some of the religious leaders of that day, and they rubbed off on him. Haven, if you will, go to Acts chapter 26 and verse 9. Acts 26, verse 9, Paul said, I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which thing I also did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them, and I punished them often in every synagogue, and compelled them to blaspheme, and being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. So this was the Apostle Paul, but he got saved. Glory to God. God changed his heart, changed his life. And I think Paul's conversion... Uh, It all started with a man by the name of Stephen. 
Haven, if you will, go to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6 and verse 9. Stephen was a man that was full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 6 and verse 9, the Bible says, Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines, and Cyrenians, and Alexandrians, and of them of Cilicia, and of Asia, disputing with Stephen. Cilicia was Paul's district there in Asia. And tradition says that it was Paul that disputed with Stephen. And he lost that dispute. And if you look there in verse 10 of Acts chapter 6, the Bible says they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. So Stephen was so full of the spirit, the Holy Spirit so moved through him, they were not able to come against anything that he said. He preached a sermon, and it's recorded there in Acts chapter 7. I'm not going to read all of that, but I do want to take a look at the response of the people. Haven, if you will, Acts 7, move down to verse 54. Acts 7 and verse 54. When they had heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. It's been said that Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father, but here he's pictured standing. Someone said that the Lord was so proud of the stand that Stephen took that the Lord gave him a standing ovation there. He saw the Lord Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of God. Verse 56, and said, Behold, I see heavens open, and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. I want you to notice, if you will, in verse 58, where it says, The witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. Saul or Paul, he changed his name right after he got saved. He was the ringleader in all of this, and that's the reason why they laid their clothes at the feet of Paul. And when those stones were hitting Stephen, Paul heard Stephen cry out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit and lay not this sin to their charge. After hearing what Stephen had said in his message in the moving of the Holy Spirit, after witnessing him being stoned and hearing him cry out to the Lord, Receive my spirit and lay not this sin to their charge. 
I believe the convicting power of the Holy Spirit was so strong on Paul. People respond differently to the convicting power of the Spirit. Some people, I have seen them at times in a service, during the altar call, they would grip the pew so tight they would leave imprints um, in the pew as the Spirit of God is dealing with them. I've stood at the back door and I have watched people as they walked by and I, I knew that the Spirit of God had touched them during the service, but they would not come forward in whatever the case. And the, the look on their face, as if though they wanted to, to say something, but they wouldn't ever make that move and say anything. I've had at times some that would go out the back door on Sunday mornings and, and shake my hand in whatever the case, but they would sneak out another door and go another way because the convicting power of the Spirit was on them. People respond differently to the Holy Spirit. And Paul got angry when the Spirit of God moved upon him and he was convicted. Acts chapter 9, Haven, if you will. Verse 1, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any in this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth. Let me give you a little interpretation of that. The power of God literally knocked him down. Now, I want to touch on a little subject here. I've been in services during the altar call where the Spirit of God came upon people and they fell out on the floor. There's nothing wrong with that. It is biblical. I believe that happened to Paul. But the Bible was written over a period of some 1,600 years. And there's only two or three times in the Bible where a person fell out where the power of God was so strong. I guess what I'm trying to say is this. Yes, God moves. And the Spirit of God can literally knock a person off their feet if the Lord so chooses to do so. And I believe He can do it in a church service. But let me tell you, He's not doing it all the time and in every church service. Like I said, only two or three accounts in the Bible over a 1600 year period of time. So uh, I'm not going to stand here and tell you God don't do that. God can do what he wants to do. But uh, does it happen today? Yes, I believe it does. But I was in a church one time at the end of the service. Uh, some people came forward and the deacons uh, went around to the back of the church and came out with, with some towels and I asked what the towel was for, and they said, oh, well, when the people fall out on the floor, we cover them up with those, those the ladies, we cover them up with the towels. And, and we, we catch them as they fall. And I'm like this, if you've got catchers, then you've got pushers. 
And I mean, you know, we don't we don't need to put on a show. God don't need a carnival show. Um, if, if the spirit of God hits you, I mean, the spirit of God hit my grandmother, and I mean, she fell flat on her back. And like I said, when when she got up, the, the Lord had had done a work in her life. But like I said, that don't happen all the time. But at any rate, the Spirit of God literally knocked Paul off of his feet. And he fell to the earth, if you look there, verse 4. And he heard a voice saying unto them, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Now, Saul was going down to Damascus and he was persecuting Christians. And the Lord said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Me. Now, there's something I want to bring out here, and it's this. When you've done it unto the least of these, Jesus said, you have done it unto me. When someone persecutes you, they're persecuting the Lord. The Lord's taking notes, and that ought to be a comfort to you on the job, at school, or whatever the case. When someone speaks a word against you, the Lord looks at it as them speaking a word against him. And he's take, making a, a record of that. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Verse 5, and he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. That would be the convicting power of the Holy Spirit that was pricking his heart and dealing with him. At that time, it's hard to fight against the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. But there are some who do. And there are some who will not come forward and accept Christ as their Savior. Verse 6, And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Now, it's at this point right here when Paul uttered those words that Paul got saved, and he became a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Haven, once again, put it up on the screen, Romans 1 and verse 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. A servant of Jesus Christ. The Greek word for servant is doulos. It means a servant or a slave. One who is the entire property of another. A servant would serve his master in total disregard of his own interest. In other words, his will was totally consumed in the will of his master. Whatever his master wanted, that's what he would do. Now, with that definition of a servant in mind, how many who call themselves Christians today, are really servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. One whose will has been swallowed up in the will of his master. One who will do whatever God wants them to do. That's what a servant is. All of us want to hear the Lord say one day, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Not only are you saved, but you're to be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul was a servant. 
He said in Acts 9 verse 6 again, trembling and astonished, Lord, what will thou have me to do? See, Saul or Paul, his will was to go down to Damascus and and persecute more Christians. But he changed his will to what God wanted, what the Lord wanted. Lord, what do you want me to do? Three days after, the Lord dealt with a man by the name of Ananias, told him to go and lay hands on Paul that he might receive his sight and be filled with the Spirit. Uh, Acts 9, Haven, if you will, move down to verse 13 and put that up on the screen, if you will. Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard by many of this man how much evil he has done to thy servants at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Here is where Paul's calling to be an apostle comes in. The Lord called him. The Lord chose him to do what only he could do. And let me say this. The Lord has called us to do what only we can do. The Lord has instilled in every single one of us gifts, talents, abilities, He uses our own personality, etc., to do whatever it is He wants us to do. There are people that you can reach that others cannot. You can have an influence on someone else's life. You can be an influence to help them receive Christ as their Savior. God can use anybody. But before you can answer your calling, whatever that calling may may be, first of all, you have to be saved. you got to be saved. Secondly, you've got to make up your mind that your will is going to be God's will. You're going to become a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul plainly said, Haven, if you will, put it back up on the screen, Romans 1, verse 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. He lists being a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ first before he announces his apostleship. And that's the way it is. Before you can answer your calling in life, whatever that is, you have to be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ and serve him, not your church. Not your denomination, but the Lord Jesus Christ. And wherever the Lord has called you, that's where you're to labor at until the Lord tells you to move on and and whatever the case. If you were saved here in this church, the Lord has a job. He has a function here in this church that he he wants you to serve him here. Somebody said you need to blossom where you've been planted. 
And until we serve the Lord where we've been planted at, uh, then our calling is not going to come about as it should. A lot of people, when they answer the call to ministry, the first thing they want to do is get business cards printed up and go tell all the churches that they're available. The first thing as a minister you have to do is make sure your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ is what it ought to be. And if you're serving Him and that relationship is established and you're following Him, He'll lead you where you're supposed to go. Um, immediately after I was licensed, they said, oh, you need to get business cards printed up. You need to send letters out to all the churches and let them know. That, and, that, and the list went on and on. You need to be put in the Free Will Baptist magazine and, and you know, all of this kind of stuff. And uh, I didn't do it. First of all, the Lord didn't lead me to do that. However, the Lord did lead me to do some other things, and I won't take the time to get into all of that. But my point is this. You have to be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ before you can fulfill your calling in life, whatever that calling may be. He goes on to say there in Romans 1 verse 1, separated unto the gospel of God. Now, Haven, if you will, go to Acts 9 again, if you will, verse 20. Right after his conversion, Paul stayed with the disciples there in Damascus. And in Acts 9, verse 20, straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he was the Son of God. Uh, Move down, if you will, to verse 22. But Saul increased the more in strength, and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. But their laying await was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down by the wall in a basket. Now, the story goes on in verse 26 and tells about how he went to Jerusalem. But that event didn't take place until about three years later. Immediately after this particular incident, Paul disappeared for about three years. He went missing. He separated himself from the rest of the world and the disciples at that time. Where did he go? He went to Arabia. If you will, go to Galatians chapter 1, verse 15. Galatians 1, verse 15. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Notice that. Immediately I did not confer with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me. But I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him for 15 days. It was during this time of separation that Paul separated himself 
uh, from everyone else that I believe the Lord revealed to Paul the meaning of the new covenant. And that's what we have here in the book of Romans, which is the meaning of the new covenant. Haven, if you will, go to Galatians 1 verse 11. Just move up a couple of verses. Paul said, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For neither received I it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. The Lord revealed to Paul the meaning of the new covenant. If you will, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 1, 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 1. This is how Paul received the meaning of the new covenant. He said, It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I cannot tell. Paul is actually speaking of himself here. He said, God knoweth. Such a one was called up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth how that he was called up into paradise and heard unspeakable words which is not lawful for a man to utter and with that it's been said that paul is to the new testament as moses was to the old testament paul wrote if he wrote the book of hebrews 13 books of the new testament over half of the new testament and romans was one of those books and it's in Romans that we have the theology of the church. And it's actually the ABCs of Christian education. And as I stated before, if you can get an understanding of the book of Romans, then you've pretty much got a working knowledge of the whole Bible. Now, you might not understand uh, a lot of the prophecies and that sort of thing. But you'll have a basic working knowledge of what the Bible is all about. If the program today has been a blessing to you, we hope and pray that you'll share it with others. This podcast has been made possible by the prayerful and generous financial support of listeners like you to contact us or to contribute to this ministry. Go to EstablishedInTheFaith.com, click on the Donate tab. All donations are safe and secure through PayPal. We look forward to hearing from you.